We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sundance Lights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Howdy. How's it going, Simon? I've been worse. You've made uh... it through last week. Yes, and the holidays are coming, which means that right now is fine. Because <laughs> when the holidays start happening, that's when the problems start cropping up. I'm not really a holiday person. You may have guessed. I don't know how one would ever have guessed based on that uh, assertion. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, how are you? I'm good. I'm. Uh, it's been a early day, long day already. Um, so I figure pumping a little more caffeine into me and I'll be at fry levels of jittery, but, uh, but it should be enough to get me through the day. So I figure that that's something, right? It is. <laughs> so we have a not terribly epic lineup for you this week because there wasn't much on TV, but we did do some older watching as well. Uh, some, some 2011 catch up, which you sorely needed doing with, uh, with, with certain shows. So I'm happy that's happening well and uh, let's not undersell we also have simon uh simon applin from tech it or leave it on talking yes. about ghost in the shell for the dvd shelf our first anime last week we yes. had a first reality this week we have a first anime i've uh we're making strides i say oh i'm like the proud papa <laughs> um we did get some nice comments from people at the uh, website last week so thank you guys for that um, of course, uh, we heard from Dan, who <laughs> says he does not like the Queen on Once Upon a Time, particularly the writing. But uh, I don't know. Where do you? What do you think about that? Uh, I'm just generally, as I said last week, Once Upon a Time is a foreign land to me. I do not understand the appeal. Uh, I just, I, I don't like. I guess I just don't like Lost or Fairy Tales enough. I don't know which it is. <laughs> One of these days we are going to do Lost on the DVD shelf, and then you'll learn to love it, because it's an awesome show. <sighs> we'll see. <laughs> but speaking of awesome shows, Mario is going to watch Deadwood, so yes! Uh, convincing Mario to watch Deadwood is probably the best thing I've ever done for anyone. <laughs> well, I do want, uh, Mario, if, if you're listening, I, we want you to check back in as you're watching it. Uh, let us know how it's going or on, on Twitter or something because I'm very curious to, to know what you think of the series because if you somehow don't like it which would be very strange I would feel a little bad but I have a feeling I think he should love it because it's amazing So no I wouldn't feel bad I would wonder what's wrong with you <laughs> and then um, we heard from Ken who says uh, no matter what do not watch the second Xena musical episode liar liar apparently it is terrible um so i will do that i suppose uh so thank you ken <laughs> i'm not sure if any non-musical show should try to do more than one musical episode yeah I, I, has has any show ever done more than one and it turned out well 
I need to investigate this. Yeah, I can't think of any shows that weren't musicals that that did two episodes and did. I mean, two good I ones. mean, Buffy had had the reprise, which was pushing it, but it worked. Well, it was a flashback to that. Ep- yeah, you know, so that kind of worked. I think I thought it worked, yeah. and it was a good song too, so that helped. Yes. Uh, we'll need to investigate this further. <laughs> so let us know, post a comment, if you can think of any other shows that have done two separate musical episodes, because I think that'd be interesting. Also, he posted a, a response to some of the things Mario was saying, so I thought that was totally cool. So I think, Mario, should go back. Let's continue the conversation, not just amongst ourselves, but uh, you know, other people, too. I think that's great. Um, we Again, we did not get any uh, iTunes ratings, but maybe for Christmas. I don't know. We'll see. Shaking my fist at you, but I'm also <laughs> mad at Apple, who doesn't release any stats or, or anything. It's very frustrating. Um, but we do have some, of course, our at the website, our sound outside Christmas is still going on. Um, well, this past week I reviewed Go Millions. Um, what else? Oh, uh, We're No Angels, a 1955 Humphrey Bogart movie, and Rare Exports. So it's been a nice, nice blend of things. And of course, Ricky is reviewing TV series or TV Christmas specials too. So that that's been fun. And I'll have another one going up today. Remember the Night, which is an old Barbara Stanwyck film, which was a lot of fun. The cool. other Barbara Stanwyck and Fred McMurray movie that you know nobody ever remembers. Um, but it's it's a good one, and then of course we did just put up our or we you just put up the Sound on Site top twenty TV list. So why don't you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, well, this was the first year that we decided to do a, a staff, an overall staff list for TV in twenty eleven. We usually do it for films, and we will be doing it for films in in about a week or so. But um, I thought it might be fun to see what the results would turn out like for television. And I think they were quite interesting, actually. And because we have a few correspondents in Britain, and obviously you you and others in the States and me and others in Canada, uh, the results were a little more idiosyncratic than perhaps other sites might have produced. Uh, so there's a cup. Oh, you, you wanted to say something? Uh, there, there's at least one that won't be appearing on any other website's top 20. Yeah, I that one I can guarantee. safe to assume. <laughs> yeah, in, in, in fact, that was the one that personally I did not know about before I, I, I sat down to uh, to tally the results and, and start writing them up. So I actually familiarized myself with it, and now I'm, I'm a fan. So that there's something the staff taught me this week. Uh, so that's anyway, you'll see the top 20 is up at uh, soundonsite.org, and I think you'll find the results quite interesting. And then, of course, we're going to talk about it next week when uh, we're going to not do our regular episode. Instead, we're going to do a best of the year. So we're each going to cop- count down our uh, top t- top 10 and uh, a few other in, uh, categories and things we're going to talk about as well. But we'll also touch on the the, the site's top 20. Yeah, if, if you want hints as to what our top 10s might be like, you can look at the top 20 and make inferences, although yeah. they may be incorrect. Yes. <laughs> um, but I think that's about it, so let's get into our week. Uh, on mm-hmm. Tuesday, uh, now I know you skipped this, but I watched New Girl, which was the episode was the 23rd, and it was, uh, it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. It centered around the holidays and... Um, Justin Long's character, whose name escapes me at the moment, um, but he told Jess that he loved her, and she said, thank you. Um, so then, so that's, you know, that centered the episode, as well as the holiday party, um, at Schmidt's work that they all went to, um, so, and various Christmassy things, the, 
the 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 most entertaining gag for me was the bit where Nick accidentally told uh, Justin Long that Jess didn't love him because he thought that she already had, and then proceeded to get locked outside, stuck on a balcony with the two of them while they're having their relationship-ending conversation, um, which was delightfully awkward, at least for the beginning. It got a little old, but it was still fun. Um, the uh, the other thing that I noticed about the episode in particular was that it's starting to get really frustrating because the episode always runs one or two minutes over, and so the very end always gets cut off on my DVR, so I'm just that's just a frustration for me. Uh, I don't can't think of any other shows where I run into that. Maybe Parks and Rec and Community, but anyway, so that that was also one of my bigger takeaways. I wish networks would stop doing that but uh overall a good episode and it was nice to see winston more involved and um yeah i'm still enjoying it um then on wednesday we had top chef yeah they, they did a double elimination this week which was great because it's really time to start thinning out that herd i think the reason this was probably for me at least their best episode so far was it was just so delightfully cruel um it's the first time in a while that I've seen the chefs have to have to decide for themselves who goes up for elimination, which just sort of brought out everyone's true colors a little bit. And uh, this is a particularly sort of, I mean, they're not necessarily the most memorable group of chefs, but they are a very prickly bunch. And there's this weird conflict between how they're all, as I said last week, they're all very familiar with Top Chef. They're all trying to play it safe, but also a lot of them don't like each other very much. And uh, that that's that's proved to uh, to be interesting and and I think for the first time uh, genuinely entertaining this week at least for me. Um, I don't know. I I don't I get tired of watching people be mean to each other. Uh, so that was less you know watching Heather be such a bully and uh, and somewhat uh, somewhat I would say verbally abusive. Got got old quickly. I, I doesn't. That's not my idea of entertainment. Um, but and ha I was also a little. <laughs> apparently, you disagree. Um, well, it's just it's been so genial so far that, or I mean, relatively speaking, that it was nice to get a few sparks going. Mm -hmm. Well, my other issue with it was that uh, I there was such a, a quick about face. As regards Beverly and her annoyingness, all of a sudden she was the complete victim and had done nothing wrong and hadn't been a pain in the ass for the past several weeks. And so that was a little, you know, I'm not, not that it's okay the way that she was being treated by Heather, but I don't know. I was a little frustrated by that. Uh, well, you know, they got to take turns, you know, crafting enemies. I think... I think pr probably by next week we'll be back to her just bawling and everyone wanting to just slit her throat. <laughs> that's uh, that's not an over exaggeration at all. Um, I do <laughs> I do agree that the uh, it was nice to have a double elimination. It, uh, it you know it is very much time to get down to a final or a smaller group, a more manageable group, so they can get they can stop having these uh, group challenges, which are always I think. Uh, a, a bit disappointing because of the uh, the number of chefs not actually being judged on their work. For example, this week, Naisha, who it, it sucked for her to get sent home when she did her job well and didn't even have, con she didn't even pick her partner. So mm -hmm. I felt, I felt a bit bad for her, but you know, it's, 
the like like I, I can't remember who was who said it this week. Maybe it was Ty or somebody. But the best person doesn't necessarily win. the The person who wins is the the best of the three or four at the whoever makes it to the end. So, you know, I don't know. I do find it interesting that both of the eliminations this week and last week seem to be based purely on how meat was cooked. Because I was sort of expecting uh, Grayson and, and Ty to get eliminated for his pathetic sweet potato fry uh, <laughs> experiment, which just which just looks so sad. Um, mm-hmm. And then we didn't get that. Uh, were you at all surprised by the elimination this week? Yes and no. I wasn't in that normally I would expect the the undercooked meat to go home, but the way that it was put together, I wasn't sure because they did like the rest of the components of the dish. I didn't know if they would give them a pass and, and go with one of the other teams instead. I thought it was actually rather suspenseful. I wasn't sure which way they would go. And I think they did a good job. I'm always giving uh, the editors a hard time. So I think they did a good job this week of balancing it, of having it make sense and not feel like it came out of the blue, but still be a question of, uh, or, or a uh, debate as to who's going to go home. Yeah. No, I think – I don't know if, if if suspense is the right word for it, but it was a nice uh, nice bit of misdirection. I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to be the start of a more – sort of tense, more exciting season that maybe also features, you know, better cooking. Mm-hmm. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll see if that turns out to be the case or not. Uh, after that, we had the Always Sunny finale, the seventh season finale over on uh, on Thursday. And uh, we've been, I think we've been a little up and down on the season. I mean, we, we like the show a lot, uh, but I think we can both agree that they started off stronger than they've been ending uh, this week we had the second part of the two-part finale, their uh, high school reunion, and we were sort of counting on this one to deliver the lols. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I guess, Kate, you're, you're you're slightly, ever so slightly harder on the show than I am, so what did you think? Um, yeah, I was definitely harder on it last week than you. I didn't really laugh last week very much. Um, I thought that there was some good stuff here. It was better than last week, but there was a lot of... I felt like there were too many long scenes with just the gang rambling at each other. For example, <laughs> the the opening thing with Dennis and Dee, which did become funny eventually, but I don't feel like the amount of funny that it got to was worth the amount of time they spent on it. And there were a few other scenes, particularly with um, Mac and Charlie and Frank, where it just seemed to... Like, they were improving and... It never really came together, but they left it in. Um, so, and I'll, the other big thing for me was that I felt they absolutely wasted Judy Greer. Um, cause yeah, they she, did. She's very funny. And I did enjoy her her previous episode that she was in from, from I think it was season three. Um, but here, it was, it was very much a, why is she there to say three lines that aren't funny and then leave? Yeah, I mean, it was part of their campaign, I guess, to have as many callbacks in these in this forty minutes as humanly possible, and in that in that sense, it made sense. But other than that, yeah, I agree, she was a bit wasted. It kind of feels to me like this whole forty minutes was just a complicated excuse to a do that and b do the ending to this episode, which was which, funny. I enjoyed it, which was funny, but I kind of feel like it's it's almost too easy for them at this point to be like, hey. Whenever we do anything involving singing or dancing or both, 
you are going to enjoy it. And it's true, and it's I, I feel kind of exploited that they know that. Uh, that being said, it was still a, a pretty solid ending. Looking back on the season, I don't, I'm not sure it ever matched those heights of, I think, the, the first three episodes, which were all really strong. And some, and, and you, you could also throw in Charity McDennis, which I know is a, a personal favorite for you. Um, but, uh, yeah, not their strongest season overall, but still, I mean, but it, it's still always sunny, so it's still a good time. Yeah, it was still a really good show, and it's one that might come up next week in our conversation of Best of the Year. Um, but it definitely, yeah, you're right, was didn't end as strongly or as consistently as it began, which is a little bit of a disappointment. Um, but still, lots, plenty of laughs, Glad to, and glad that I'm back on the Always Sunny train. Mm-hmm. Now, next we had Prime Suspect. Which is still uh, on. Which is still on, <laughs> and I think it might actually stay on through the hiatus. Uh, though I did have a little twinge of... Uh, of, of uh, I guess, frustration or anger when at the end of the episode, instead of getting a next next week on Prime Suspect, we got a, the, fir- the firm is starting and it's taking over this slot and killing Prime Suspect. <laughs> oh, the firm. What, you know, maybe it'll be good, but I just can't, fe- I can't shake the, the feeling that it's just going to be a giant waste of Molly Parker's time. Uh, we'll have to reserve judgment until we see it. But... Do we? Well, I know that it'll be hard for it to top Prime Suspect for me, at least. But mm-hmm. we'll see. Trisha Helfer, I'm a big fan, so we'll have to see what happens. Now, this week's Prime Suspect was called The Gorgeous, Gorgeous Mosaic and was about a couple different uh, killings, one of a jeweler and one of a uh, uh, of an older woman. What did you think of this week? I, I had some serious jitters at first because the episode opens with... Uh, one of my least favorite cop tr- cop show tropes, which was Maria Bello's character be- being derogatory towards rap music and her white male partner saying, no, rap music is great. It's poetry. Oh, God, no, don't. This has been like th- I've heard this exact same conversation take place in cop shows probably 20 times over the last 20 years. We don't need another one. Uh, luckily, the episode didn't end up revolving around the uh, – the rap musicians, which was great because the show was clearly not going to do it well. Um, and then after that, it got better uh, somewhat. I, I didn't think it was a, a landmark episode for them. It, it what, One thing I did like is that we got a little bit more of the home life with Kenny Johnson. Although, I, again, that didn't turn out to be all that interesting. Well, but I think it does promise interesting things to come. That we'll never see. Yeah. Well, I don't, it depends on how to come they are. If they're in the next few weeks, we we we're still have another, I think, three episodes coming to us. Um, so because they did finish at the thirteen episode order, but uh, but yeah, I, I think that's more interesting to see. I, it was nice to see start to see sort of the side of of Kenny Johnson's character, such that he is divorced. Now, granted, mm-hmm. we're still seeing it from his point of view. But it'll be interesting to see if he starts getting litigious with his ex-wife. Um, we might start seeing an uglier side of that character, which I think is interesting. Um, I haven't seen too many that rap music um, scenes in, in cop shows. So maybe I just haven't noticed it. I'm sure there must be a quote of Lenny talking about it at some point on uh, on Law and Order. Uh, so, so that element didn't bother me, and I also was interested. It was nice to see Mark Shepard pop up. Of course, I always enjoy him. Though I was a little 
uh, curious about his accents, what that was supposed to be. But yeah. um, other than that, he's all, I, I'm always happy when Mark Shepard pops up. Um, and I did think the stuff with the father was interesting. Um, again, I, I feel like this is an episode that would have built towards stuff we would have seen later in the season if there was going to be a later in the season. Yeah, I think the frustrating thing with this episode is so much of it was pushing in the in the direction of serialization, which if the show had gotten, you know, a full season order or a renewal would be great. But, you know, stuff with the lady detective and stuff with the father, stuff with the husband. And, you know, like, there's at least one of these things we may not even see referenced ever again. Yeah. So it's it's hard to get too worked up. Yeah. Next on Friday was the premiere of The Life and Times of Tim, which was, I believe, the model from Newark and Tim's hair looks amazing, which are, which yeah. is a pretty great episode, Tyler. I didn't catch this, but you did. So what did you think of the premiere? Yeah, the, well, it was the season two premiere, and um, I remember catching one or two episodes when the show first premiered on, on HBO, I believe it was last year. And finding it amusing, and I thought, and having fond enough memories that I should thought I should check out the, this uh, this premiere. It's sort of a similar uh, setup to Beavis and Butthead in, in that it's it's got two parts that uh, play over the over the course of a half. Well, in, in the case of HBO, a full half hour, and it's it's amusing. It's 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 a it's sort of an animated Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I think. Something about having crudely drawn animated characters as opposed to real life crudely drawn Larry David <laughs> is uh, makes everyone a little bit more tolerable on a more regular basis. Uh, I, I think of the two parts, despite the great title, Tim's Hair is Amazing, was the lesser of the two parts. Uh, the first part revolved around his relationship with a uh, with one of the women's uh, basketball players he's uh, assisting. And uh, that was, I think, the, the stronger of the two parts. The Tim's hair is amazing. Half, uh, despite uh, dis despite the title and premise, was n not quite as strong. Uh, always happy to hear the voice of Nick Kroll, who seems to be everywhere on television these days. Uh, and I have no problem with that between this and the league and his appearance on Community and his other appearances elsewhere. Uh, anyway, I'm quite happy to have the show back. It's sort of a nice, uh, a, a nice trifle to enjoy while we're waiting for sort of the, the heavy hitters of January to return. Um, after that, uh, we also had Grimm on Friday. Yes, Let Your Hair Down, which one would think was a Rapunzel episode, but really just it, it was just barely a Rapunzel episode. There was a character who had long hair, and uh, yeah, that, good job, Grimm. Was by themselves. Uh, so, I mean, it wasn't a great episode, but it did allow us to spend more time with Monroe, which is always a good thing. Um, so, you know, there, there was that. The the resolution, I thought, was, was fine. I wasn't particularly enamored of the sort of hillbillies getting revenge. Uh, yeah, that was a little tacked in there. Yeah, but... I, I, I did feel bad for the kid who ran the dog wash, though. Oh, because yeah. he, he gets abducted at the opening and then gets abducted again and tortured. Oh, yay. For no good reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't one of the best. Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like we should be seeing more creatures at this point. Is that just me? Different like, kinds. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it seems weird that we just keep getting Blutbotten. Like, mm -hmm. that's another episode of Blut with Blutbotten in them. 
uh, it seems like we, we need to be getting some more variety. As much as I like Monroe, and he's probably the, the – I mean, I think they're – I think even they sense at this point that he is the most interesting character they have. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's getting so much screen time. But it's maybe too much of a good thing at this point because we need – we need more creatures, people. Well, uh, and I think that there's a way they can incorporate him while still having it be different kinds of creatures. They just need to stop the uh, the, the premise that he doesn't want to be helping out uh, our main character or give him some motivation so that that can stop being a... Every time he shows up at the door, Monroe's like, come on, man, I'm busy with my train set, you know? Mm-hmm. So if they didn't have to keep coming up with justifications for the two of them to be working together, i.e. it's always a blue button, um, then that would allow them a lot more flexibility. And uh, I, I have a feeling they'll have to come up with something along that line uh, soon. Yeah. Of course, the other been... option is they could make their other characters more interesting. Yeah, well, I think they, they need to re- stop relying on the trope of, oh, I need you, Monroe, to be my liaison to the creature world so that I don't freak everyone out. Um, or at least not in the same way, because it's getting a little repetitive. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's, that's actually it for yeah, that's it. non-spotlighted week in television. But we, we're watching some older shows as well. You are continuing, I, I, I guess you've completed, rather, your catch-up with uh, FX's Justified. And season two was actually the season that finally sort of got it some acclaim. It was relatively ignored awards-wise uh, during season one. But season two got uh, nabbed at an Emmy for uh, Margot Martindale, who played the principal villain of season one, Mags Bennett. So Season two. It, is that what I said? You said season one. Oh, sorry. I meant season two. Um, now, so there's some hype, and hype is a problem. Uh, especially for us. So how did uh, how did Justified Season 2 uh, measure up for you? Well, first of all, I did also finish the first half of Season 1, which I didn't... Or second half, sorry, of Season 1, which I didn't get to talk about last week. So briefly, I did really enjoy how Season 1 came together towards the end, though I, I felt like there was maybe one episode too much. It felt like there was a, they were a little stretching for time, particularly with the Boyd and Bo... Uh, story story in the the past the final two episodes i think if they had maybe gotten rid of one of the episodes and made the finale 90 minutes then it would have just tightened it up a little bit but um for the most part i did really like the end of season one and then as for season two yeah i'm interested now actually i haven't done it yet but i plan to go onto youtube and watch margo martindale's acceptance speech from her emmys because i you warned me just in time that there were spoilers so I didn't watch it um, during the, the Emmy telecast. Uh, so I'm curious to see what she had to say. But I think the my biggest problem with season two was all me. Because I kept hearing how great and villainous Mags was. And so I think I was expecting a bigger performance. Um, and I shouldn't actually say performance, but but character. I was expecting someone more like the the trinity killer from dexter or um just somebody who is a bit more hard-edged and i i think that mags is much more complicated and much more interesting than that uh but it's also a much subtler and smaller both performance and, and also character and much more realistic so i think i was waiting for fireworks that didn't come mm-hmm. but i think if i had been watching it when it actually aired 
that wouldn't have been a problem. And I think I would have really enjoyed it. I'm actually really looking forward to watching season three week to week with everybody else. And my other problem with season two was I think they had uh, to, again, five cents to the Big Red podcast and Alyssa Boehm for lady problem. But I think they definitely had a lady problem this this season other than Mags and uh, and also the... Loretta, the the who I thought was fabulous, they did not know what to do with Ava this year, and I th- I had a lot of problems with where her character went. I didn't think it made any sense, and I thought it was actually uh, rather in contrast to everything we have learned about her over the course of the two seasons. So I thought that was very much a well, we don't know what to do with her, so I guess we'll hook her up with this person, um, regardless of the fact that it doesn't really make sense with her character. Uh, you know, I have to take slight exception to to that. I assume when you when you say things that don't make sense for a character, you mean shacking up with Boyd. Um, and I, was I mean re- getting in revol- involved romantically with Boyd. I'm I was fine with him, her her trying to help him get back on his feet. I just the way they got the two of them together. Sorry, I didn't know if we were avoiding spoilers, but uh, where it's oh he's he's gone and he's not leering at me all the time anymore. So I guess. I no longer care if he is a uh, a criminal and and you know going to cause me to get shot out shot at all the time. I just the the she went from no Ill- illegality in this house to okay, just don't run whores. Well, you know, I I I, I used to agree with you, but I was rewatching some of season one the other day, and I I remember the conversation that she has with Raylan about her her. Uh, now dead because she killed him, uh, husband Bowman, and how she sort of, she sort of talks half nostalgically about how well he wasn't always such a bad guy, and it kind of brings up the fact that, you know, obviously she was in a horrible abusive uh, marriage, but she might also just have terrible taste in men, which is, <laughs> you know, it's not something you see depicted on on TV often, but it's you know something maybe worth exploring. And I, I I hope it is something that that they actually take the time to explore in season three, where, rather than just take it as a given that this is that shacking up with Boyd is just something that she's done and and it's acceptable. I'm hoping that that we see a little bit more of her processes. But given the fact that we're going to get a new female character played by Carla Gugino, uh, I'm not sure how likely that is to happen. Al- although I do find it interesting that. She, uh, Gino used to play Karen Sisko, mm-hmm. who was also an Elmore Leonard character. She's the character Jennifer Lopez played in Out of Sight. So I'm wondering if she's going to be playing sort of a, a a version of that character, but not with the same name because there's legal issues. Yeah, that was a really great show when it was on. I actually, I, I really enjoyed it. So I would be fine with that. That sounds great. I still, my problem isn't the fact that Ava and Boyd got together. My fa- my problem was the fact that it didn't feel earned and it mm-hmm. felt um, they didn't. It was just one. I think it was within the same episode. One scene. It's uh, no, I don't want anything you doing anything illegal or the, I have a strict set of ground rules to. Oh well, screw that. <laughs> no, like baby steps to you know, no none of that. Just it's not. And she mentioned that she had been. Um, on the wagon and hadn't been so it wasn't even like we saw her get, fall off the wagon and then it's okay to be smoking and then it's okay to be and you know it's, we didn't even get that it was just oh well you know I don't mm-hmm. know I, I think also the, the show is setting her up as a clear parallel with with they're setting them up rather as a clear parallel with uh, Helen and Arlo 
um, of course, Helen being no longer with us. Yeah. So, so which you know, they did not so subtly and maybe not the most smoothly, but I, I, it wasn't, you know, the, the hugest plot hole of last year. On the subject of Mags, when you talk about sort of how she wasn't necessarily the sort of over-the-top or, or, you know, outright, you know, sort of evil villain you were hoping for, I, I kind of feel like that's part of season two's general approach of not being as uh, sort of not being as openly crowd-pleasing as maybe season one might have been in terms of the body count. And, you know, in in season one, you get Bo, who's a very over-the-top villain, and although I thought he was played to the hilt by MC Ganey, who did not get enough credit. Um, you know, season two is a little subtler. You have these sort of these social aspects thrown in, I think, re- quite well um, in terms of, you know, the, the dynamic with the... With the um, What's the name of the mining company? Uh, Black, Black Pike. But yeah, Black Pike. You've watched this more recently than I have, mm-hmm. so I have an excuse. <laughs> um, and um, and and the way that stuff was all folded in, and the stuff with her family, I thought was all really well done. And also, speaking of people who did not get enough credit, uh, Brad William Henke and Jeremy Davies were both, I think, just as good as as Martindale was. Yeah, they were fantastic, and something as particular I enjoyed as. Uh, is we had uh, the one was on Grimm, uh, what is it, last week or so, which so that was sort of playing a somewhat similar character, so that was interesting. And then, of course, Jeremy Davies, I know very well from Lost, and so to see him play such a completely different character was was a, a total blast, and I look forward to more more of him in the future, I would assume, mm-hmm. here and there. Yeah, well, he's, he's the only survivor, really, of... Uh out of the clan in season two. I, the, the one thing that disappointed me while I was watching it, because I, I was watching it week to week, there's basically two uh, Raylan gets his ass saved uh, moments in the finale, which I which yeah. I think one would have been enough, and I would have been fine with that, but two was a little much. Mind you, I do really like the, the little touch of the, 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 bl- the blood spatter on the lens um, when Raylan gets ambushed. That was pretty brutal. I enjoyed that. Now, for me... One of the the other larger problems I had was actually not a problem, but uh, was w- Winona, and uh, she was just so frustrating all season. <laughs> but of course, she played very well by the actress, written very well. She was supposed to be incredibly frustrating, um, but it, I think it's interesting to see a character who you, like you you want to like because she seems smart and interesting and intelligent and she I like what she brings out in Raylan when it when what she brings out isn't illegality yeah. um and I, you know I thought it was interesting to put him into the the position that that she did or that the show did and to see how he responded I thought that was all very interesting but it was almost painful to watch her every week and just be like oh Come on! First with the money, and then with you seriously married this loser for her uh, her second husband. I can't believe that he went back to the same loan shark who was just so deliciously like psycho and fun, mm-hmm. played um, by Jer Burns. Yeah, who, uh, who who apparently will be back. Well, and who I always remember from you know the '90s sitcom world. So it's. You know, it's a very different kind of character for him, which was fun. But how are you with Winona? Winona is, uh, I mean, she's obviously the least favorite character among fans of the show. I mean, for for various reasons, not just because, not only because, you know, 
I think a lot of the female fans of the show don't like the idea of Raylan shacking up permanently with anyone because they <laughs> like to keep their fantasies alive. Um, oh, I like her way more than Ava this season, at least. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think she does produce the most problematic aspect of season three going forward, which is baby. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I know that in the books uh, or in the stories, rather, Raylan has a couple of kids and he's kind of a deadbeat dad. Um, I don't know if the show is really. I don't. I don't know if the if the way that the character is designed in the show sort of really allows for that kind of dimension. And and honestly, I'm not sure that if there's really a precedent for that sort of character being a lead character mm-hmm. on a. Uh, I mean, on on American drama, maybe there is. Um, I haven't seen it. In any case, uh, I, I am concerned for season three. They can either sort of they can either keep it awesome or maybe even kick it up a notch, or they can stumble seriously. Like, like, you know, some shows like Sons of Anarchy have. So uh, we'll see. But I, one thing we haven't mentioned is just how consistently awesome. And I, I think really the show's constant saving grace, um, Timothy Oliphant. He's is, fantastic. He, he's just amazing. And if anything, you lose track of him a little. throughout. I, I recall doing near the end of season two because you're spending so much time with the Bennets and with the Crowders. And it's almost a shame. So I'm, I'm hoping we, we get a whole bunch more Oliphant action this season. I didn't have any problem with that, actually. Um, and I, I do think his performance is fantastic. And it's, as I mentioned on Twitter, and I've mentioned this to you, I do think just the sheer fact that I think this show boils down to the hat. And uh, the fact that the character and the show and the actor all need to be able to pull off that hat and yeah. he, he it and he do and uh there are not very many people who can pull off that kind like a giant 10 gallon white cowboy hat or mm-hmm. beige but white for all, all intents and purposes yeah so um that's uh, that takes particular kind of skill and charisma and I think it's just such a blast to he's such a blast to watch, and I do think that overall the show I think is has really excellent um, production. You know, I have issues with some of the characters as far as the writing, like I already mentioned, but in general the writing is very good, the direction is very good, the the costuming, the lighting, the the cinematography, the music is always mm-hmm. great. So it's a very well made show, and I think the acting is excellent across the board. Any of these characters that I'm having issues with, it's not with the uh, the acting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I, I think it's worth mentioning, sort of as a, I think the last thing I want to mention is, I kind of feel like Oliphant doesn't get enough credit, just because sort of brooding antiheroes are kind of in uh, in vogue right now and for the last couple of years, and Raylan isn't quite that. And yeah, so I, I, but he's so much more interesting than that. Yeah, he is. Yes, but I, I, I just, I kind of feel like that probably accounts for why he hasn't gotten as much attention because awards attention. You know, particularly. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't have like a deep dark secret that he's not telling everyone about. Or I mean, or if he does, he's hiding it very well. <laughs> Dexter. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just. Uh, I mean, it's what I've seen of Dexter in the past two years does not compare with... I mean, Michael C. Hall's great, don't get me wrong, but it doesn't compare with the work that Oliphant's doing on Justified, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, especially balancing sort of that dry, sort of bemused wit uh, wit and humor 
and 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 all that stuff with with the darker stuff and you know with this uh with, with stuff like seeing his own gravestone at uh at the at the household and stuff like that mm-hmm. um it, it's it's a really tricky role and, and he pulls it off with uh what one might term as swagger <laughs> Now, um, now, of course, I finished up Justified Season 2, and you caught up with Boardwalk Empire. Now, you stopped watching this after, what, three episodes in Season 1? I got uh, I got through maybe four or five episodes in Season 1 when it was first airing. Uh, I was watching it week to week, and I got bored. I'm not going to lie. I found the, you know, the, the pilot was $18 million to produce, <laughs> uh, which is a ridiculous amount of money for television. And, you know, given the personnel involved, you know, from the cast to the writing to the producing and all this stuff, and the fact that, I mean, the pilot was directed by Martin effing Scorsese and and the cast was ridiculous. And I, I think the expectations were just insanely high, especially, and even for me, I, I'm a big Sopranos fan and Terrence Winter was a, was the executive producer on Sopranos, wrote a bunch of ep- of fine episodes for them. And I was just surprisingly disengaged from the characters. Uh, but I kept hearing great things about season two, so I figured I should give it a shot, especially given that the end of the year was coming. So I uh, I sort of caught up with the back end of season one and then uh, watched all of season two, which I was actually able to do because I, I think it's become a more enjoyable show. I still don't think – I know people are going to say, don't make the comparison, but I'm sorry, I have to. It's no Sopranos, uh, if only because it, it's much more content than than Sopranos is to just be a mob story. You know, a story about these characters it's, it's not really that interested in or as interested in exp- in exploring subtext and sort of the surreal elements that made sopranos special uh, or i should say helped to make sopranos special but it's uh it's become quite entertaining i maintain that the show's achilles heel is steve buscemi um because i think he's an amazing character actor an amazing supporting actor I'm not convinced of him as this super charismatic leader who's the center of this universe. Um, you know, maybe he looks like the real Nucky Thompson. Maybe he acts like the real Nucky Thompson. I don't know. Uh, he doesn't I, look like the real Nucky Thompson, no, even no. a little okay. bit. <laughs> okay, there you go. I, I, I wasn't sure. Um, but uh, And I think also it's it's in stark contrast to basically the rest of the cast uh, who are uh, particularly strong. And I'm about to spoil some stuff, so I'm, I'm terribly sorry. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. I already know. <laughs> uh, one thing that I'm a little apprehensive about is that the Michael Pitt's character, Jimmy, was fleshed out really, really well over the course of the season. I think gradually became maybe the most interesting character the show has, or at least, or at least the most fully realized. And uh, then at the end of the season, they cut him down. And that was... And in in a scene that I think was quite over the top and maybe a little over stylized and had a had a pretty corny line of dialogue from Buscemi's character, I'm not sure how I feel about that. It's it's ballsy to the point of maybe foolhardiness, uh, which is something I'm I mean, I'm glad that they're that they're taking chances. Uh, and <laughs> speaking of taking chances, uh, the previous episode featured probably the. Uh, I don't know, the most unsettling sequence in recent TV history, certainly of the year, uh, involving uh, Jimmy Darmody and his mother, who's played by Gretchen Maul. Yeah, I'm not getting that out of my head anytime soon. Uh, that whole episode, I think, was probably the best of the series. Um, did, did you did you watch any of uh, Boardwalk Season 1 when it aired? 
No, I haven't seen any of the show. I meant to uh, try to catch it when it first started, but then I got behind and with all the other shows that I have that I, yeah, for example, I still haven't seen season three of The Shield. Um, there are just other shows that I feel the need to catch up with before uh, catching up with Boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Um, I, like I said, I still don't think it's quite one of the greats, uh, but I feel like they're making strides in the right direction. Um, I'm hoping that whoever they add to the cast next year, they're able to flesh out in a similar way to, to what they did with Michael Pitt's character. Uh, like I said, not sure if it was the smartest idea to get rid of him, and the way it was done was not entirely satisfying. But uh, yeah, I think I think the show's improving. I don't think it's quite quite top ten material for me yet, but uh, very interested to see what happens with it next year. Well, and I assume glad that you caught up. Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, as as much as I was very upfront about being bored by it before, I do think it's uh, it's made strides. Okay. Well, that wraps up our week in TV, and so we're going to take a break right now and come back and talk Homeland in the spotlight. Trista by the Tomaj Stanko Quartet, I might be mispronouncing that, which was featured last week in Homeland. That's the music that was over the sequence of Carrie's board being removed and taken down, which I inaccurately uh, prescribed to, I believe it was Miles Davis last week, so I wanted to get that right and use what was, I think, a lovely piece of music to transition into our spotlight, which is Homeland Marine One, the finale of the first season of of this freshman series. So what did you think of Homeland, uh, the finale, the episode by itself, and then in context with the season? You know, th- this episode had a really, really, really tough go ahead of it, at least for me. I, it had so much to do, uh, and it had to do so without betraying what came before, and while also setting up a potential second season, for the life of me, I could not rationalize how would they get through this episode, keep these characters intact, and pave the way for another season without feeling completely ridiculous? And the fact that it managed just that, regardless of what else may not have been fantastic about the episode, I think is enough to make the episode noteworthy. It was a double length, well, not quite double length, it was a 90 minute episode, and it did a lot, and it had, you know, it had a lot on its plate, and I, th- I think it got basically everything done that it needed to even if it wasn't necessarily up to the best of the series. I think that's interesting because for me, the I had the similar concerns and it seems to me the way that they managed to keep every everyone in, in play for next year was by not really doing very much. Um, so 
I think this has been a divisive episode amongst um, viewers, so critics and fans. I think critics, for the most part, tend to really like it, but I know the the fan community is more split on the episode. And while I do agree that it was an excellent episode, very good, I was a bit disappointed in it as a finale because I expected there to be it to be more of a finale where it just felt like for the most part, another episode. And so season two will start off and it we're still in the same situation with Brody. With Carrie is not at her job, but you know that that's going to, it has to be eventually resolved or it's going to be a completely different show. So either Saul's going to go rogue and start passing her information or Carrie's going to be reinstated or they're just not going to talk anymore, which I don't think the show necessarily works without the two of them being able to interact. So for me, I expected more of a finale and they didn't give us that, but they didn't, they didn't, uh, bobble the, you know, the ball, they didn't, uh, mess anything up. I think the performances were fantastic, particularly from Damian Lewis, but also from, I really should look up her name. The actress who plays his daughter was fantastic throughout the episode. Um, all of the supporting characters were great. It was nice to see Virgil pop up again. Um, but I guess I just expected more closure or more, you know, happening in the episode. Mm-hmm. Well, that's for me, that's, that's true. And it's, and it isn't, um, I, the, this, this issue of enough happening on one hand, I can see where you're coming from in terms of it may not have been climactic enough. Uh, I mean, it, it felt like a finale in the sense that we we finally understood the the full mechanics of the plot against uh, against the U.S. government. We knew exactly what was supposed to happen and what you know what would have happened if they'd gotten away with it. So in that sense, it was it it's it's a natural conclusion for the season. Um, I think I know some people are frustrated about not knowing who the mole is. I am very very happy we did not find out who the mole is in this episode. Because it would have had to have meant it was it was one of a certain number of characters, and I would have been unhappy with it being any of those characters. So I'm quite happy with that mystery being carried forward. My my question um, would be, I, I it just it doesn't seem like it's for me. It's not a satisfying finale because if the show hadn't been picked up for a second season, do you think it has the same finale? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not sure about the the nature of the way the show was produced. I I, th- I think that I think that they they if you could have changed just a few things to make it a a a, a fine finale, you, you I mean you, it it wouldn't necessarily have been an upbeat finale, but but uh, I think with with just a few tweaks you could have made it a series finale relatively easily. I think they probably had a couple of contingency plans. I mean, they got renewed what six weeks ago or something, something yeah, like that. So with enough time. Yeah, so they uh, they they had enough leeway, uh, I think, to be prepared for for a couple of possibilities. It's not as <laughs> if you want to see a spy show that has a total uh, cluster hoot of an ending, go watch Rubicon. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, I I I think another thing that's really that really worked for me in this episode was I, I last week I predicted sort of a. A dirty—I don't know exactly what term I use—but basically a dirty victory, which mm-hmm. is which is basically what we got. I mean, I, I I kind of love the fact that Carrie does save the day, but has no idea, and probably will never have any idea. Yeah. Like that is that is dark. 
that is that is a that is quite compelling, and the fact that it was done in a relatively believable way. I know a lot of people have have brought up, yeah, the Secret Service probably wouldn't take a call from like a from like a thirteen year old girl, and like you know deal with it seriously. Well, I thought the point was that she was using a CIA phone, so the that the Secret Service answered the call because it was from the CIA, and then. Yeah, if I was a Secret Service agent, but, I, I I might say you got the wrong number, kid. Click, but you know, but the, you know the scene that we got from it was so good that I don't yeah, really care. Exactly. Yeah. No. And and Damien Lewis, like you mentioned, is just so good throughout that whole sequence. Mind mm-hmm. you, for me, it was slightly uncomfortable because we've been following Brody so long and we know so much about his life and his and his career that. I was kind of rooting for him in like the wrong sense. I was like, do it, do it. And when he didn't blow up, I was disappointed. How we, how screwed up is that? Well, I, I was somewhat disappointed dramatically as much as I am grateful that he'll be back on the show. Um, and I, I just, I disagree. I don't think this would have been a satisfying series finale at all. Um, because it would have just been completely unresolved and, and that's could be very much what they're going for. And and that that can be the point, and that's that's fine. And maybe I, with time and space, I will be more mature and think that that is more interesting than just wanting stuff to explode. <laughs> um, By stuff, I, you mean people, many people. <laughs> well, more just to have the the closure as opposed to the threat continues, and at some point in the future, maybe something will happen. You know. It's sort of like the as much as twenty four did become, I think, a problematic series. That first season is fantastic, and it has one of the best season one finales of a show that I can think of. It has a fantastic season one finale. So while I do think Homeland, um, thus far, is, has been better than than twenty four, I don't know that the the finale, this finale, was as good as their first season finale. Mm. Uh, well, from what I've seen of 24, I, I think that what's great about Homeland is it manages to have its cake and eat it, too, mm-hmm. in the sense that it's it's still a show about terrorism and, you know, defending the U.S. against terrorism, but it still manages to preserve, uh, like, a, a pretty a pretty harsh criticism of, of the government and of Homeland Security, you know, the, the mechanisms that are meant to keep people safe. And that was best represented in the scenes with Saul, who's, you know, Mandy Patinkin is, is just as great as he's been for the rest of the show. And just the look that, that's frozen on his face when he realizes that he's utterly powerless to do anything about the knowledge he's gained mm-hmm. was, was just perfect. And the fact that that's where we leave him, more or less, for, for the season is just brutal. Um, I don't know, wh- where would you like to see them pick up? I, I think personally I'd like to see them take uh, quite a bit of time between now and the next season, maybe six months, eight months, with Brody sort of settling into his post. I would agree, except that I don't think that works because of Carrie. And they're going to, of course, play out the um, her remembering uh, Brody saying Isa thing. And can, and I am sure she's going to regain that memory. They say that you there's short-term memory loss but often you regain it. So there's no point in her remembering that to have it her that it permanently erased from her memory by the shock mm-hmm. treatment. So that means she's going to have to remember it at some point. 
And if they jump too long of a span of time, it's going to feel false if she starts remembering, you know, six months later, you know, or eight months later, so that we can spend some time with her before she remembers during sweeps or, or whenever it'll happen. I, I kind uh, of I kind of feel like the series, the, the next season would open with the moment of her remembering, but because that's the sort of show that we have here where they, they, this is a show that tends to jump straight to the point. That's true. I do think they're definitely going to show us some of her not remembering, though. Maybe. Because they're, they're going to have to, because they're going to have to show her not focused on Brody for a while. Yeah. Even if it's just the opening of the the premiere and then at the end of the premiere she remembers and is back on the trail, they're going to have to show her make the decision to go against her word to Brody to, to resume this or to show what her life is without this element in it, particularly to set her up as a civilian. Although, if there's one thing this show has taught us, it's to not hew to... Don't treasure your predictions too much. Because they've, they have they got very good at the left turn, and I think the thing that, I, that I'll value this season most for, besides the fantastic acting, I think is just the fact that they chewed through way more plot than I would have ever thought possible. Yes. In a way that didn't seem rushed. They surprised me several times with the direction they went and how forcefully they moved the story forward. So they definitely, I think it's been a great season and any issues I have with this finale are nitpicks of a, of a, of a uh, choosy and uh, spoiled TV fan. Yeah. And I think, especially if you compare it, I mean, even like the first season of breaking bad is I think quite tentative. Uh, the first season of mad men has some problems. Uh, some serious ones, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's rare for a drama to get so much right in its first season, like I think this does. Yes, I would agree. Um, and I just—it's one of those. It's not quite as bad as when Breaking Bad went off the air, but with Homeland finishing up its season, I'm I'm grateful that Justified is coming back so soon because we're gonna have some trouble uh, if if Justified uh, doesn't. Uh, or has some trouble this season, we're going to have trouble finding a spotlight episode every week, and it was nice to have Homeland so reliably fantastic week after week. Yeah, Justified, it better bring it. I mean, Archer's also <laughs> back in January. You, you don't, you've only watched the pilot of Archer, so you, you're not familiar with uh, all of its gifts quite yet. But, but I've uh, really enjoyed the pilot, and so I'm really looking forward to catching up with that and being able to watch the third season. Okay, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that with you in the future. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so I, th- I think we can agree. Good season. They they did a good job. It's on the spoiler alert. It's on our top 20 at the website, and it will probably come up next week when we talk about our top 10 of the year. So uh, we're, we're fans of the show and wait, waiting, uh, I would say, eagerly to see what happens next year. Yes, and I'm also hoping that it, it's not so popular that Showtime feels the need to give it 12 seasons. Yes, that would be nice because 12 seasons... Do that is a lot of seasons. Um, but yeah, so let's see. Any final thoughts on your week's TV, Simon? I don't think so. Uh, like I said, I was happy to catch up with, uh, with with Boardwalk Empire. Curious to see where that heads next year. Uh, but generally, I'm, I'm just excited about January and uh, the new shows coming up, or rather the, the returning shows. We've also got a new animated series, uh, which is co-created uh, on FX by the It's Always Sunny guys. It's also it's, it's sort of a second crack at bat for... Uh, 
for David Hornsby who <laughs> who whiffed it earlier this season. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll 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 see how that turns out, and you know also how the firm turns out. Is there any other new stuff coming this this January? Oh yeah, there's a bunch of new series that'll be all, a lot of the mid season shows will be starting up in the next month or two. Uh, so Smash I, should be coming, Alcatraz. There's a bunch of new things on the horizon. There's still no Hopefully. date for Awake though, huh? No date for Awake. There is a date for Work It, however. Oh, good. <laughs> Just when you thought I hate my teenage daughter was the worst pilot of the uh, the fall season. Um, but that'll be a conversation for another time. For now, of course, we will have a post up at the website, soundonsite.org. You can reach us by email at uh, theteleverse at gmail.com. We do keep hearing from, uh, I believe it's a Carol Williams, who is just so bound and determined to give us our free iPod or iPad or various other thing if we would just send her our address. Um, but we don't tend to hear, we haven't heard from anybody else yet at the email, so it would be nice if we had some actual email to balance out the spam. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. You are? Uh, well, that's an interesting one. Uh, theoretically, I'm at Sucker Howl, but, but... <laughs> this week my Twitter account got mysteriously suspended. Uh, and I, it's not because of any incendiary tweets I was sending. I, I didn't have any, or at least none out of the ordinary. And my last tweet was something that I sent, so so clearly I wasn't hacked. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what's going on. I've already appealed it with the Twitter uh, ruling body, whatever that is. So actually, any readers or listeners who have any idea what I should do about this, besides just the appeal, let me know, and hopefully I get this fixed, because it's really goddamn frustrating. <laughs> Um, that, yes, I, I, I did notice, I was looking at my followers list because I was trying to, to find a couple people to, uh, to, to tweet at because we were talking about some, the Bears had a difficult day yesterday. Um, anyways, um, and I noticed that you weren't following me anymore and I was a bit confused until I, I heard that, uh, uh, that, that, that your Twitter was down. It seems strange. I hadn't been hearing of any, uh updates about the website or well, about uh, well, other no. various music type things. I actually I, I actually just unfollowed you. It's just I oh. was tired of Doctor Who, I'm sorry. <laughs> if only Sunday, the new Doctor Who uh, special. I'm so excited. Yay. Um, <laughs> anyways, um we always love hearing from listeners. I know we have um some new listeners who've come in, in the, the the past few weeks and I would it'd be great to hear from some of you guys as well and then of course we love our regular listeners who post on the the website so please and and of course tweet us on on Twitter so please drop us a line let us know what you're watching right now what you're catching up um, during the hiatus with or uh, maybe even just your favorite uh, TV specials for this holiday season I know I love me uh, the how the Grinch stole Christmas and none of that live-action BS um, so I, I, how about that's our theme for the week? But we'll take a break right now. We'll be back with Simon Applin from Tech It, Tech it or Leave It. And talk, we're going to talk about some ghosts in the shell. So we'll be right back.
This is Kate Kalzik along with Simon Howell as ever. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are talking, it's our first anime, Ghost in the Shell. And to help us discuss it, we have from Tech It or Leave It, Simon Applin. Simon, thanks for coming on the show. Hey guys, very nice to be here. Thanks for asking me on. So what is it about Ghost in the Shell that uh, that prompted you to select it? It's a really interesting show in my collection because it's the only anime. I'm not big into anime in general. But ever since I was very young, I have been into science fiction and specifically cyberpunk. Uh, I'm a big technologist, you know, I'm a pundit on tech it or leave it and programming is my job. So machines and especially now communicating machines fascinate me. So when I first saw the movie Ghost in the Shell, it just totally captured me because it combined that. It was, you know, cyberpunk novels brought to life, uh, combined with, I think, a lot of uh, people who know me well will say I have a, a serious weakness for strong female protagonists. <laughs> and we've got that here. And it's a show that's really deeply philosophical and hides that underneath a sort of procedural crime drama in the TV showcase. Speaking of the strong female protagonist, uh, it's one of those things, I'm just going to get it out of the way up front, that watching this show, she is such a badass, but I couldn't help but every episode just, really, that's what you're going to wear? Um, it is a, <laughs> it's such a ridiculous, and all of the men are fully clothed, of course, but she's basically wearing a bikini with uh, some, some more stuff. I think it's like a, some cross between like a bikini and a one piece with some badassery hooked on here and there and it's the most ridiculous especially the continual shots of her butt are just it's just so ridiculous but i think if anything that sort of adds to the 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 certain element of silliness because this is not a silly show and when you start see like see clips of it you might think that it's you know a, a light lighter fare based on some like, for example, what she's wearing. But it's actually, like you're saying, a very philosophical show. I Before seeing Ghost in the Shell, I had only seen Cowboy Bebop. So I'm pretty, uh, I'm very much new to anime as well. I don't, I don't watch a lot of it. But I, I wasn't expecting what we got. I wasn't expecting, in many ways, the procedural. I wasn't expecting the, I didn't, I, if I had somehow confused the plot of um, Ghost in the Shell with the, the plot of, um, uh, Full Metal Alchemist, and so I was waiting for the robots to show up, <laughs> and so... Well, there are plenty of robots. They're just different kinds of they're robots. They're just different kinds of robots, but it, it really, I thought, was a, I think is a very interesting concept, and I, th I feel like that the elements of, um, of, of the communicating without speech and, and such, I think it makes it a really strong entry for those who are not used to anime, who don't like watching, uh, you don't like reading, watching subtitled programs i mean i it is blasphemy but if you're gonna watch a dub there's a lot of this where this series i think that you can watch and not have that you know be as much of an issue because so much of the time they're communicating telepathically actually i would recommend watching the dub this is the only case i know of where i think the dub is actually better performed ah. uh, the the english language cast on ghost in the shell are just phenomenal 
and it's largely the same people across the films and the TV show. And they do a really good job. Well, great. Good to know. Don't have to feel guilty about it then. Um, uh, <laughs> our Simon, um, what did you think of Ghost in the Shell? Oh, great. We're turning into Fringe. <laughs> um, although which universe is the UK, you can decide. Um, I, I, I have, uh, like Kate, I haven't watched very much anime. I've seen uh, also Cowboy Bebop. And several years ago, while I was very depressed for several months, I marathoned the entirety of Neon Genesis Evangelion, including the movies. Or I should oh, say that'll the... just make you more depressed, surely. I... No, it, it was great. It was great company. Um, uh, sorry, I should say the first set of movies. My God. Um, and w w when when you guys were talking about uh, the major's outfit and versus the sort of philosophical underpinnings of the show, this is what I find fascinating about the anime that I've seen is just sort of the friction between the high-minded aspects and the fan service. Um, I mean, it's it's especially glaring in, the, in in Evangelion where you have this show that's throwing around all kinds of philosophical and religious themes, but then every other episode you need an upskirt shot. Um, mm. uh, Ma Masamune Shiro, uh, who is the creator of the Ghost in the Shell manga, is legendary for that. He has a real thing about fetishistic nurses especially. <laughs> uh, they, they pop up in Ghost in the Shell. And yeah, there's there's some of that too. He has this incredible combination of, like I say, this fascination with sort of Baudrillardian philosophy, the second order simulacra that is the Laughing Man phenomenon, with exquisitely detailed technology. The guy is um, a mechanical engineering degree holder, so his mech designs, whilst not believable necessarily, are feasible. He's worked out how they could work. And then you also have, in the book, it never quite made it into the show, although um, Matoko's girlfriends did, a sort of three-girl pile-up scene. <laughs> it was implied. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, but when asked why it was all girls, what was the significance of Matoko's sexuality, he simply replied, I didn't want to draw some guy's butt. <laughs> so... <laughs> hilarious <laughs> well so it is kind of a multi-layered thing yeah that's the sort of intersection that i find uh, really fascinating something that, that that's happening in this show that i didn't notice as much in evangelion is film references uh, yes. and specifically in an early episode i mean there's a very clear homage to uh godard's breathless as well as some other references to some of his other films and then in a slightly later episode there's a very clear nod to Catherine bigelow's strange days and i'm sure there's more uh, of those where that came from later in the series. I'm just trying to work out if the Strange Days reference, which well, I'm, direction I'm, that works in. Well, well, I'm thinking of specifically in, I think it's either in episode 10 of season one, I think, um, there is an instance of a uh, of a perp who is making people watch their own murders uh, via yes. first-person technology, which is straight out of Strange Days. It is, isn't it? I'd forgotten that. I'd actually never noticed that one, but you're absolutely right. Because I love Strange Days as well, so I'm surprised I hadn't made that connection. Speaking of, of that episode in particular, it's one that sort of came out of left field for me, and it's one of those episodes, at least, when I was going along watching the show, and it, especially the earlier episodes um, are more, they're very standalone, they're, they're, they sort of reminded me of what I imagined the A-Team to be, <laughs> as I haven't gotten to that series yet. <laughs> 
Um, and then we get to that that episode. And it just sort of grabbed me by like the, by the lapels and shook me. It's like, no, this show can also be incredibly dark and twisted. And I I really think it's interesting how they go f- from having some some more philosophical episodes. I'm thinking of the early um, season one episode about the the guy who's put his consciousness into this computer and is he going to go kill his parents or not? Um, or it can just be sort of light and fun, or it can be twisted. And I enjoy any show that plays with genre like this, This, but it, it was definitely one that made me, you know, it's one of those redefining episodes, at least for me. That episode actually aired um, when it was put out in the States for the first time, uh, cut and with a sort of viewer discretion warning. Mm-hmm. And then they did a, an uncut rerun at like one thirty in the morning or something. So that episode was a game changer for the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of, of game changers, although in a totally different way, uh, one episode I really admired is, and, and it's, it's worth noting for people who haven't seen the series, that the first season is divided up into standalone and complex episodes, hence the title Standalone Complex complex episodes feed into the mythologies and you know the greater arc of the laughing man and the standalone episodes obviously don't but one of the complex episodes that really stood out is this um this one is it's called chat 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 and literally all it is is you know having these people we've never seen before sort of have this panel discussion of who or what is the laughing man and is this the same laughing man as before and what's their what's their scheme if there is one and there's there's a prescient moment in that episode where somebody notes a um, that, that that it might all just be a scheme to have orchestrated a uh, um, a, uh, a bailout of major corporations, which I had to chuckle at. <laughs> yeah, the the Laughing Man case I found really really interesting. Unfortunately, I didn't realize the the rather obvious standalone complex uh, it, uh, d- d- um discrepancy or the 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 structuring of the series um in that way until i was almost out of time watching episodes i would have preferred to probably have watched more of the the complex ones i was i found the laughing man storyline very interesting um but i I, because i started out watching the show going you know these are 20 minute action it's a 20 minute action show and after a while that has you know i just fear that it was going to get really old and but i think it's actually far more successful at a a serialized storytelling form than i would have expected you know normally you have in serialized shows are almost always 45 or hour long shows uh 45 minute or hour long shows and so to see it told so successfully in 20 minute chunks i think is surprising it almost feels like the episodes are longer when you get done watching them because they do pack so much storytelling into each one and yeah. I, I, I kind of, I really don't want to ruin the uh, series for you guys because I know <laughs> you're only part way through. But the Laughing Man case and the complex storytelling builds into what really hooked me into Ghost in the Shell in the first place when I first saw the movie, which is a really fascinating look into what makes life, what makes intelligence and awareness and consciousness. And this moment of self-sacrifice that is really unexpectedly uh, heartstring plucking because it's not coming from the people, if that makes sense. It's coming yeah. from things that have been considered machines. Yeah. 
That's uh, that yeah. It's it's a as soon as you get into the the uh, cyberpunk realm, I think you become a lot more. You have to start redefining your your ter your terminology, and it's it, like it's a similar thing I imagine as in Battlestar Galactica when you, you, the question between what is sentience and what is programming and aren't human beings really just a series of electrical impulses to begin with? You know, and so I, I do think that. It, that, I think that's what science fiction does best when it's making you think about yourself and about your life and your 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 point of view. And so, any show that's going to investigate that, I think, is 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 worthwhile. This is a, a Japanese series, and I always find it so interesting to look at. I mean, despite how little anime I've seen, I did remember that I actually have seen uh, one other series, quite a bit of it, and that's Fist of the North Star, that gem of the anime genre. <laughs> Um, <laughs> post-apocalyptic bright pink mohawks. That's, that's pretty much all I remember. Anyways, I, I'm always fascinated to look at Japanese media, and especially when it pertains to technology and in relation to the, the culture, particularly as, you know, post-World um, War II. And I don't know, I think it's a really, I think it's more interesting perspective than we get over over here in the West. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, very Japanese culture that comes up in this show, and it is sci-fi from another culture, one of the big deals um, is the micro-machine corporations that you were talking about earlier, Simon, the ones that wanted the bailout. And what made them huge was what in Ghost in the Shell lore is referred to as the Japanese miracle, sort of nanotech clouds that could be dispersed and uh, scrub radiation. That is one of the big fears in their culture, and again, that was somewhat prescient because they weren't done with that, apparently, according to what's going on with Fukushima and stuff. Yeah. But that is, it's such an obvious cultural obsession there that isn't so much a concern for us, so it strikes me as just deeply of its culture, for want of now, a better way of saying it. Speaking of things that are of the culture, and maybe you can explain this uh, better than I could, what's up with the Tachikomas? And the ch and their children voices. What's going on there? <laughs> and and the I love tags the tags at the end of the episodes. You love them, okay? I I, I adore the Tachikomas. They are they're central to what I was talking about earlier about the nature of sentience. Um, the Tachikomas are tanks, for want of a a better description. Again, they are spider-like rolling tanks. One person, one weapon armored vehicles for section nine which is the sort of paramilitary police force that ghost in the shell actually follows but they are intelligent they are almost sentient and they sync up after each mission and share their intelligence and the way they are designed to learn and develop uh, comes across in an episode right about in the middle i'm not sure if you'll have reached it when one of them gets out and goes on his own little adventure for the day. I don't know if you caught that one. No, unfortunately. That sounds interesting. It is. It's it's adorable. It's uh, <laughs> it, a Tachikoma gets out and meets a little girl looking for her lost dog. Okay, that sounds incredibly adorable. <laughs> and they see the world as another Japanese obsession as, as a role-playing game. They keep referencing that they're building XP when they discover things and learn things. 
So they're sort of in competition to have the best gaming experience out in the world, um, achieve the most things and learn the most things. But as the series goes on, they, they diverge in personality, despite the fact that they share exactly the same experience. And through two of the main cast members, Motoko Kusanagi, who we were talking about earlier, the, the badass chick who leads Section 9, and her sort of right-hand man, as it were, Bato, the big, burly ex-military guy, they have very different responses to this divergence, this uh, emergent personality. All the way through, Bato has had a specific Tachikoma he considers his, uh, <laughs> and will only work with that one because it's his, he can tell it apart. And Kusanagi is actually threatened by the fact that they're developing distinct personalities because they could become unreliable. They should be utilitarian machines. And that tension builds towards the end of the series. To a conclusion that I'll leave you to discover on your own, but <laughs> they are sort of not quite pets, not quite children, but they are, you know, adorable companions who are also tanks. Which is that strange dichotomy again. To uh to to frustrate our Simon a little bit, uh Simon Hell here I was very much, because of course I haven't gotten to that part of the series yet where they start diverging, but I, I was very much struck by their similarity, at least to me, uh, of the, the Daleks from Doctor Who in an old second Doctor story where they become spliced with human something and start spinning around saying Dizzy Daleks, Dizzy Daleks, and wanting to play and have fun while still having all of their Dalek <laughs> weaponry. <laughs> One of those, I don't idea sort of moments but it, i do think that it would i think what i get the impression that when you're watching the show and you as you see that that strand develop it probably becomes more interesting i could see how they would get really annoying um they could be really annoying at first um if you don't sort of go with it they were an element that was in the manga in the book which is much more light-hearted in its presentation and specifically were not in the film because they were quite light-hearted and playful, but they came back for the TV series because they, they had this central story arc. Um, now, there, Simon, I understand that <laughs> um, the Laughing Man story winds down and is, is wrapped up at the end of the first season, and then the second season, which is called Second Gig, I believe, uh, That's right, is, yeah. is actually divided into three categories. Uh, so how yes, does that work? More confusingly. Uh, it's a case of having two storylines threading throughout. So you have the standalone episodes again, and then you have two different types of complex episode for two different types of storyline. Okay, so complex and gig then, I guess. It's sort of, they're called uh, individual, visual, and individual. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not confusing. Well, and... To yeah. <laughs> to sort of go based off of that is one of the things that I when when you picked Ghost in the Shell I started looking into it I was sort of very relieved to see that it is uh, unlike some of these other series Evangelion comes to mind it is a distinct set of stories there are two seasons there are a few movies um, there's the, the set the series of books but it's not one of these ones that goes on forever and ever and so I feel like it's probably a lot less daunting to, of a one to, to start out with for people yeah, they're specific storylines that have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And they can get a bit complicated here and there, especially the second season, which 
starts making very bold political statements because it's a refugee crisis, uh, political corruption, uh, possible uh, possible nuclear war, and even a messianic kind of a storyline, all thrown well, together. Well, and I'm also under the impression that, that this, despite the fact that you've got the seasons and then you've got the uh, the uh, there's sort of feature length adaptations of each season, correct? Yes, uh, they but, took the the main storylines and turned them into a sort of feature length presentation. Right, but they're but they're faithful to the series. It's not like a it's not like an Evangelion situation where you have a beginning, a middle, and an end, but then also a different end, but then also we're going to get a different version of the beginning <laughs> and the middle. I'm I'm pretty sure they are just edits together of the complex episodes. Okay. I've not seen them, but uh, that's the impression I'm under. Okay. So that'd be a really quick way to get into the main storyline if you wanted. Now, uh. I know we're we're coming towards the end of our time. We I've mentioned that you know I a couple episodes that I, I thought stood out to me. Um, Simon, do you have any particular favorites, particularly maybe from the second season, or what are the ones that are the most individually memorable? For me, the ones I always remember are Jungle Cruise, which we were referring to earlier. That's the one with the killer forcing people to watch their own tortures and deaths. Uh, because it is such a, a shocking um, diversion from the sort of central plot and the kind of feel of the show. Uh, Tachikoma's Day Out, because it swerves completely the other direction, which we were also talking about before. There's an episode whose name I'm struggling to remember, where Togusa, who is the purely human member of the team, not mm. cybernetically enhanced in any way, is sent to work undercover at a, a, an institution for sufferers of cyberbrown sclerosis, which is a form of autism created by people who integrate too well with their uh, cybernetic modifications and internalize into their um, enhancements. That's a really fascinating episode because of what it's exploring and also for the plot. Um, so I remember that one. Of season two, definitely the last episode brings the whole show together in an incredible way. And there's also a, a story that through flashback tells how Motoko Kusanagi ended up in a cybernetic body, which was something the director really wanted to put in because he found all the way through the first season, he couldn't get a handle on her character and mm. just didn't know how to direct her. Mm. That's interesting. Well, that's one of those things that in, in these series, when you have the cybernetics, it does make it so much easier for me to buy the skinny, tiny, skinny girl beating the crap out of the giant people, the giant, you know, guys. Um, and I don't know, something about the combination of, oh, it's she's a robot, it's, it's cool, and the fact that it's animated just, I think really makes makes that work but i don't know i think that's interesting because i definitely connected with her character pretty quickly after just only a few episodes i felt like i had a sense of her and so that's interesting that the that the creator was having trouble with it well perhaps you're an android oh that's the clear <laughs> assumption i obviously one zero zero one well the question the question matoko would put from the film is have you ever seen your own brain i can't say i have I don't think I'd like to. It's the great philosophical question of Ghost in the Shell is, in a world where 
personality can be perfectly synthesized. There's really only one way to prove you're human. Uh, and actually, since you since you brought up the film, I probably I actually did see the initial Ghost in the Shell film probably about ten years ago, and my my only sorts of confusion was whether or not this series was supposed to take place after or sort of concurrent with this the uh, the film. There's no connection, none whatsoever. Uh, you can think of it as a reboot. The film okay. and the series are actually set in different countries. Interesting. Okay, I didn't know that. I believe if you if you actually I can't read either language myself but i'm told by those who know more than i do that the uh, signs and all the signage all the written language in uh, the movie suggest that it's actually set on, in mainland china uh, in a sort of japanese extension onto mainland china which i i don't want to get into the politics of but <laughs> it's an interesting po uh, prospect whereas ghost in the shell standalone complex is very definitely set in japan they reference places and city names very specifically. So it's a completely separate continuity. Huh. Good to know. <laughs> well then, uh, I guess final, final, uh, any final thoughts or I guess maybe you didn't touch on final uh, favorite characters, but uh, um, Simon, the guest. Uh, my favorite characters are clearly Matoko. She drives the show. Uh, Bato, who is the perfect foil. Uh, to her and the Tachikomas, all of them has taken as a collective. And if you get to season two, uh, there's a cabinet um, minister, I believe he is, or representative called Goda, who is fascinating. R. Simon? Um, I have to say, um, maybe it's just because, you know, I have a soft spot as a human being, but uh, I, <laughs> I, I have to go for our, our human uh, colleague, is it Togusa? Togusa, yes. Togusa, yes. Uh, yeah, I, I like I like his... He's in a strange position because every once in a while a character, especially um, the major, will just say, you know, why, don't, why, don't you just, why don't you just be a robot? Why don't you just, just be one of us? Uh, and there's an interesting variant on that uh, later when Batu uh, says, to, uh, says to Matoko, why don't you just take a male body? Um, which, you know, obviously wouldn't work for the fans. That's actually very early on, I believe, when... When he says, you know, you'd be stronger, have more authority, that's in episode two or three, I think. Uh, it actually happens in, like, episode... It's the, it's, it's the same episode with... Um, oh, crap, I don't want to get into that. But it's no, it's more like episode nine or ten. <laughs> Perhaps he says it a couple of times. Um, for me, the characters, besides, of course, the, the, the captain, uh, I, I maybe it's just his hair, but I love the boss. <laughs> and then... Um, just the one of the one-off one off characters that I just that was ridiculous and hilarious was the uh, the Texan, <laughs> who's the robot, <laughs> with the yes, most yes. ridiculous yeah. Texas accent you've ever heard. <laughs> and I love how they actually comment upon that in the episode, saying he's it's he's probably not even Texan. That's a ridiculous accent. That can't be accurate. So it's gotta be a put-on job. Yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> and the Jameson body as a character kind of recurs in season two's after the credits moments, the tachikomatic days, ah. which we haven't touched on at all. Little animated stings of something ridiculous happening to the tachikomas. <laughs> uh, they have a little dig dug parody with uh, the Jameson body, the little cube with legs mm. and arms chasing a tachikoma around. Yeah, that nice. sounds about right. I could see that being uh, like a Pixar style short before 
the, the, the feature. That sounds like that'd be fun. So um, any <laughs> final thoughts on the series? Uh, well, personally, I'm just looking forward to having the time to sit down and, and watch uh, the rest of at least season one and uh, hopefully catch season two at some future point. As I've previously mentioned on the show, I am uh, school is killing me right now. But I did enjoy what I saw for sure. And I'm very peaked. Uh, my, my interest is definitely peaked by your, uh, your by their Simon's description of the uh, rest of the series and the season. <laughs> yeah, it ticks all the right boxes for me. It's good procedural drama, which is well written. It's action. It's strong characters in an ensemble cast. It's a science fiction future that is kind of recognizably an extension of our own. People dress like we do, eat pizza. With a great soundtrack. That's worth mentioning before we go. Yoko mm -hmm. Kano's soundtrack is just superb. Yeah, that was going to be one of the things that I was going to mention. I, I, I'm always uh, on the lookout or, I guess, the listen out for for great music. And uh, now I've watched two really... I don't think this is an all-star count. So I've watched two anime series, Cowboy Bebop and, and this one, and they both have really great music. Am I correct? In Is it the same composer? I feel like it's yeah, the same it composer. Is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah, and she's fantastic. So that's definitely one of one of the the strengths. Um, the action, which we've touched on, is very good. It's very well done. Um, you get when it's when it makes sense, you get a nice sense of weight to it. But they also don't let that limit themselves from you know ridiculousness when it comes to to the the more cybernetic uh, entities. And then uh, also. Just to touch on what you started with, um, Simon Howell, um, are the the, I, the the episode that featured the uh, Breathless reference actually made me want to go watch Breathless because I haven't seen it yet. So I thought that that was actually uh, pretty great as well. So a lot of really nice um, animation, and I like how they vary the the coloration and the style for that episode, and I would presume for a few episodes in the future as well. So. It's a it's a really fun series and one that I definitely recommend people should check out if they haven't seen it. Right on. So, uh, Simon, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, they can find me over at simplysyndicated.com, where every week on a Sunday, 4 p.m. GMT, we do a show about technology, tech it or leave, covering the week's tech news, downloadable as a podcast, along with many other fine shows from that same site, simplysyndicated.com. I'm also on Twitter as right error which you might want to look up in the show notes because it's a demon to spell <laughs> good times um thank you again for coming on the show thank you for having me and uh, we'll talk to you next week thank you for listening Kate, come back online. Gonna take a micro nap.